The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 298, broadcasting live Thursday, June 11th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Live episodes air every Wednesday and Thursday. Wednesday nights, we do MMA and wrestling from 11 p.m. Eastern, uh, usually till about 1 1 a.m., usually roughly 90 minutes. Thursdays, we focus on gaming and entertainment. As always, uh, language can be a little strong, so listener and viewer discretion is advised. So if you're tuning in for the first time, you're probably asking yourself, what the hell am I listening to and how can I watch what's going on during the live shows. Well, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can head over to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv and you'll be able to watch a live video feed. On mtrlive.com, though, in addition to the live video feed, there is a high-quality audio feed courtesy of Mixler, which will allow you to listen to the show with audio only. In addition to that, you can also listen to it via Blog Talk Radio, but unfortunately their audio quality is a little on the low side, so we always try to direct people to listen to the show on mtrlive.com. You can also use our call-in number, not hit option one, and listen to the show that way. Obviously, if you hit option one, it will put you into the caller queue. Now, the other thing I did want to let you guys know is that if you miss the live shows, you can find episodes of My Take Radio in podcast form available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. In addition to that, video archives are available on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rageworks. Another way that you can watch the live feed of the show is via GFQ's apps available on Roku, Fire TV, and Android TV. And if you're using an Apple TV, you can use the Daily Motion app and watch the show live right now if you want, if you're at home. Otherwise, you can always, like I said, go the archive route and get the videos on YouTube, the audio on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and any of your other podcast providers, including, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, 
Spotify. You'll be able to find My Take Radio on Spotify. Hopefully within the next month or so, once I get an official date, you'll be able to listen to episodes that way as well. All right, so what do we got on deck for tonight? We got the gaming news of the week. We also have the week's entertainment news. We will always take your calls, 347-324-3541. Plus, we got our question of the week, which we actually pose to members of the RageWorks group. Which, by the way, for those of you that have been asking, the the RageWorks group currently is in beta. Uh, It's a place for fans of the show, uh, readers of RageWorks to congregate, hang out, talk about all the stuff we cover uh, wrestling, MMA, gaming, entertainment, pop culture, you name it. You can interact with all your fellow readers and listeners there. Uh, right now, we are currently in beta testing. We got a good amount of people in there uh, engaging in conversation, uh, really just exchanging great ideas, having really good, insightful, thoughtful conversations about some of the stuff that we cover. And our goal is possibly for our 300th episode to open up the RageWorks group to everyone. Right now, I believe we have 50 or 51 uh, members thus far that have been testing the group. Everybody seems to enjoy it. Everything that we post in there is getting viewed and commented on, which is great. And our intention is to open that up to the general public, hopefully when episode 300 airs, which, by the way, I want to give you guys our broadcast schedule for the month of June just because there's going to be a couple of changes. First and foremost, next week there will only be one show on the 17th, which is going to be our MMA and Wrestling Edition. We will, of course, be talking about the fallout from Money in the Bank. Plus, we'll be talking about Cain Velasquez versus Fabricio Verdum and that UFC card. Uh, There will be no show Thursday because we will be covering a Pepcom event. And, you know, our coverage of that event, of course, you can follow on social media just showcasing some some of the great electronics and gadgets that are heading our way in the near future. In addition to that, the week of June 22nd, there will be no show that week. A couple of reasons, obviously. First being Consumer Electronics Week will be that week, and we'll be covering that. Plus, yours truly celebrates a birthday that week, and I need a little bit of a break. But nonetheless... Episode 300 of My Take Radio will be July 1st, just in time for My Take Radio's anniversary. And um, it's it's fitting that we air right before the July 4th weekend. No idea what we're going to do yet, but we're trying to find a way to do something memorable and awesome, just like we did for 200. Hopefully, we'll have something just as cool planned for episode 300. All right, so before we get into... This week's show, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about, and um, I, guess it's a, I guess it's a monologue of the week. And, you know, a lot of you guys I know have reached out saying you missed the monologues and me just ranting about random things. But things have been quiet. Things have been running smoothly. So, obviously, there was no necessity for that. But this week, uh, things have changed quite a bit. And the reason I want to go into this stuff is because I want to get a little inside about some of this, and it does tie into gaming and entertainment, and that is that, of course, in June starts con season. You got E3, you have San Diego Comic-Con shortly after, you have tons of other things, you know, Consumer Electronics Week, etc., etc. We have Eternal Con this weekend here in in New York and Long Island, which um, I believe 
We will be there Saturday to cover, so look for our coverage of that event as well. But in any case, with con season comes a lot of different things, a lot of expectation, both from readers, viewers, and members of the quote-unquote press. And the reason I put I, I quote press whenever I say it is because, and I've said this before, if you run a blog or a site, you are a person that is regurgitating news. So, yes, you might consider yourself a journalist, but unless you're actively covering every event and reporting on everything, I kind of feel that we're just, again, commentators, opinionated pundits, whatever whatever we choose. But, again, that that term tends to be associated and thrown around by too many people. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because this past weekend we covered Special Edition NYC, which many of us felt was a cash grab for New York Comic Con. Depends on who you ask. Some people felt that way. Others didn't. Uh, We covered the event. There were a lot of things that I felt were wrong with the event, but there were also a lot of high points that I really wanted to share with you guys, including some of the great cosplay, a lot of great stuff from Marvel. But aside from that, it was interesting to see that special edition on their Facebook page asked people what they thought of the event. And people were very vocal about some of the things they didn't like, the venue, um, you know, the fact that there was only two bathrooms, the location, which was pretty much a phantom zone that required you know, a couple of uh, of of, wa- of blocks of walking to get to, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people were upset. And when you pay money for something, you are entitled to voice your opinion in a in a fair manner. And if you don't like something, fuck, you paid for it. So if you don't like it, hey, you could say, listen, I paid 20 bucks and I was on a line that went four blocks and I went in there and I wanted to buy New York Comic Con tickets and I was on a line that was a line basically to another line to buy tickets, and my experience was X or Y or Z. As someone who paid for an event, you are entitled to that opinion because you are a paying consumer. For those of you that covered the event like we did, which was as a member of the media, as a member of the press, and in turn paid nothing, your opinions, while valid, should be kept to yourself. Because, yes, there was one bathroom. Yes, you had to get on a long-ass line. Yes, the venue was essentially in the Phantom Zone. But you got to go there for free. So a lot of people, they'll, they'll say stuff like that, and they'll be like, yeah, you know, this and this and this and this and this and this. I didn't like this. And it's like, listen, you got to go to the event for free. There were two days of coverage. You either tried to make the most of it or you didn't but there's no necessity if you went there for free to shit on the event because they extended you the courtesy and believed in your quote-unquote brand to let you go there so it was one of those things that seeing it unfold on social media was just incredibly disheartening especially because like i said we we don't they don't have to let us go you could have your your rinky dink site your your decent site your, your blog that you threw together three weeks ago. And if you were credentialed to go, then you go. And you cover the shit, good, bad, or otherwise, and you go about your business. In an era of content 
where 1900 people out there hundreds upon hundreds i use 1900 as a as a as a random number but hundreds of thousands of people have blogs websites micro blogs whatever the case may be it is a battle to get your content seen heard watched etc and because of that you essentially come off like a bitch <laughs> i hate to say it but it's true it's like hey you went there for free it didn't cost you nothing. The only thing it cost you was time. If you got there and you didn't feel that the event was worth your time, you turn around and you leave. But then don't sit there trying to leverage it for content. You don't put shit out and, and these people know who they are. You guys don't put shit out about the event. You got to go for free, but you bitch and complain that there was one bathroom. It's like take the tampon out. Take the tampon out and go about your business. Oh, no, one bathroom. Perish the thought. If you're a guy, find a, a quiet corner and pee in a water bottle and go about your business. If you're a girl, well, that's a different story. But there, there's no necessity to sit here and complain about something that you essentially got to go to for free. Which leads me to E3, which is next week. Uh, myself and my colleagues from Royal Flush Magazine will be trying to get content out as well as the rest of our RageWorks team for E3, obviously scheduling and a ton of other real-world issues. Um, we're not going to be on location for E3, but at the end of the day, all you guys care about are the news. Whether it's from someone who's there or from someone who's not there, you care about the content and how it's delivered. And with that said, uh, one of the big news stories this week, and I didn't want to put it in the gaming segment because, again, it's part of the monologue, was... The decision by Ubisoft to not allow Kotaku to cover their event at E3. Now, this story circulated the rounds and countless, uh, countless people jumped on the bandwagon to pretty much put the boots to Kotaku, you know, kicking them while they're down because they're, they felt that Kotaku didn't deserve to be there. And with that, I got to tell those people that Kotaku is a big site legitimately established you either love it you hate it or you don't read it if you don't agree with the shit you don't agree if you agree with the shit great but the fact is that kotaku is a legitimate established site much like polygon the verge gizmodo TechCrunch, and countless other sites and for you to jump on the bandwagon to kick them while they're down because ubisoft said they couldn't cover their events instead of complaining about it these sites should jump on board and try to become the next Kotaku and focus on giving original, entertaining, and unique coverage. Don't just kick, you know, don't kick the site while it's down. Don't be, don't be that guy. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Instead of saying, yay, Kotaku didn't get credentialed, you should say, fuck, I got credentialed. Let me go out there and crush it. But that's not what we do, you know? everybody goes and they, and they just kick them while they're down, but you're not doing anything to set yourself apart from Kotaku or from The Verge. And everybody says, yeah, well, Kotaku puts out clickbait articles. Let me explain something to you. And, and most of you guys understand this, but there are a couple of, of, of people that don't. Sometimes you got to put out clickbait and fluff piece articles because you need the traffic either to get to an event or because you need advertising. You need advertising dollars. Anybody that complains about pop-ups and doesn't run a business has no fucking idea what it costs to run a business. 
yes, you got your little pop-up blocker, yeah, whatever. But now that I'm running a business, I understand that you need people to click that shit because you need it to pay the bills. And yes, oh, person falls down the stairs. You won't believe what they found. Yes, it's a clickbait article, and it sucks because you clicked it and you read it. But that's what they expect. That's what's expected. And for people to jump on board and complain about Kotaku, especially the people that call themselves quote-unquote journalists, you guys know who you are, the fact remains that there's no necessity to do that. Set yourselves apart, be part of the problem instead of, I mean, be part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. Val adds, Kotaku isn't as bad as The Verge, though. Their content is usually witch hunts on what they don't personally like or because nothing's going on that week. You know what's interesting about that, Val? The Verge, I'm glad you brought them up because people complain about The Verge and, oh, you know, The Verge shouldn't be allowed to cover events. The Verge has a, uh, has a bankroll deeper than probably five people's salaries or, or more, depending on who they work for. These are the facts. Yes, there's good and there's bad in every website. You either read it or you don't. But to go and kick them while they're down, especially when you're quote-unquote journalists whose E3 coverage consists of the open bar that they got at X party or the X freebie that they got or the X, you know, access that they got to some bullshit event, don't, don't be that guy. Cover your shit. That's it. Cover your shit and don't complain about the most obvious things, the elephant in the room. Yes, Kotaku, The Verge, IGN, all these sites, they're, they're, not, they're not the greatest. And even if they are, they, they're the greatest to a select few. But if you're a quote-unquote journalist or somebody who's trying to get noticed, spend less time bitching and more time doing. You know, that's it. Less time complaining, less time finding something wrong with the system, and find ways to disrupt it. That's it. Find ways to disrupt the system. You know how we disrupt the system? We put out stuff, and yeah, some of our stuff is good, some of our stuff is bad, some of it is, oh shit, did we really want to publish that? But guess what? In an era of being seen, sometimes that one shitty article that I may think is shitty that I wrote, somebody else may enjoy for some godforsaken reason. It's part of the struggle, and it's part of the game. And, you know, for you guys that, that read our stuff and watch our videos and support our content, I am grateful for all of you. For our team that is involved, that, that tirelessly tries to get stuff out there and make it original and make it unique, I am grateful for them as well. But the fact is that if you are getting free access to all these events, stop complaining about every little thing that's wrong and start doing something that makes you noticed. That makes you better. Simple as that. The, the, that's exactly how it goes down. Like, I'm gonna, like I said, Special Edition NYC, we covered it. There were a decent amount of things that I felt could have been better with the event. But I found the high points. And the high points for me were the incredible artist Alley, Some of the great people that I got to meet that run other sites and provide content. And above all, you know, I got to meet DMC from Run DMC. I took a photo with him. I got to get a great art print from Transformers artist Dan Canna. Again, there were great things. Yes. Well, did it suck that you had to be on a line to take a leak? Yeah, it, it sucked. But again, not the worst thing in the world. Did it suck that the panels were too close to each other and one panel over, you know, oversaturated the audio of the other panel? 
Absolutely. But you know what? That's not for me to complain about. That's for Marvel and the vendors to complain about to the organizers of the event. Nobody wants to read a blog post full of complaining and bitching. On the contrary, they want to see what was cool about the event. It's like Eternal Con. Eternal Con is this Saturday and Sunday at the Cradle of Aviation in Garden City, Long Island. And the thing about that event is they had no media applications, none whatsoever. I bought a ticket, my wife bought a ticket, and a buddy of mine bought a ticket, and we're going to go and check it out as fans. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to take a camera and try and get some work done because that's what I like to do. And who knows, maybe the coverage of that event may spur somebody who lives locally to decide to attend maybe that Sunday or maybe next year. You know, it's 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 craziness. It is craziness. And, and you know, some people said, Rich, are you going to name names in your monologue? Because a couple of people got a preview of this monologue earlier today. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to name names because those those guys are going to continue to try to run their brands their way. And that's it. You know, these these are the guys that have CEO in their Facebook bio but punch a clock at fucking McDonald's. These are the people that, you know, call themselves executives, but yet work in the mailroom. You know, this is, this is how, this is how it is. It, It legitimately is like this. And again, you know, it's easy for me to come on here and, and drop names left and right. Cause it's, it's easy, but you know what? Fuck them. At the end of the day, the fact is that they're going to cover these events poorly and eventually the organizers are going to be like yo we gave you a three-day pass that we didn't give to another outlet and you wrote one article and it was less than 500 words you know these are these are the facts and and to quote what danny said sometimes the organizers don't even give a shit they just go and they say what are your traffic numbers what's your alexa numbers What's this? What's that? Oh, you meet the criteria. Here's a pass. But I also know a couple of people that have gone to Comic-Con and have took their press passes and sold them or lent them out because they got one and they didn't feel like going. I know plenty of those, too. And I know them personally. And all I got to say to them is that eventually you're going to get found out, you know, It ain't going to be from me, but eventually you're going to get found out. And when you do and you don't get credentialed and you wonder why, just remember that if your Instagram is full of open bar photos and and look, I got this free thing and your website isn't full of content, maybe that's where you got to look. Simple as that. All right. With that said, what's on deck for tonight? We got the week's gaming news. We got some MPD numbers we're going to discuss well, we got some MPD news. Let me rephrase that. We're going to discuss. And um, as always, we're going to take your calls on the entertainment side of things. We're going to get into the casting for The Punisher in season two of Daredevil. We're also going to get into some of the other casting news with regards to Marvel. Um, a couple of things there I want to discuss. Like I said, we're going to read off your answers from this week's uh, group question. And that's it. So let's get this ball rolling. Let's jump into our gaming news of the week because there's quite a bit to discuss. So let's get to it. All 
All right, so first and foremost, I do want to talk about the big elephant in the room, and that is Uncharted. Uncharted is getting a brand new Nathan Drake collection on the PlayStation 4. This includes single-player campaigns for Uncharted Drake's Fortune, Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, and Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception. It is scheduled for release October 9th, and those who buy the set will get exclusive access to the multiplayer beta of Uncharted 4 A Thief's End, which is the final game in the series. Now, I want to talk about that because of, and Slick and I have gone into this in great detail, you know, the double dipping, the incessant double dipping, um, Uncharted is one, the alleged Gears of War collection is another, Darksiders 2 is another, even though I love Darksiders, you know, there's, there's a lot of it going on. And again, as I've said before, while I'm sure some people may have missed out on the occasional Uncharted game, is there really a necessity to re-release those games if people still own a PlayStation 3? Let's, let's take it a step further. Is there a necessity to re-release those games when people are already waiting for Uncharted 4? Now, obviously, the easy solution is, hey, we're going to release this game because we're going to give you access to the fourth game. And that's great. You know, that, that's fine. It, it's a decent perk. But other than graphic, you know, graphical improvements, there's, there's no necessity for you to jump out of character to pick up this game. Now, I know a handful of people have said, hey, man, I'm going to pick up that Nathan Drake game because I've been waiting for it to be released on a collection because I never felt like buying it on PlayStation 3. And I understand that. I know I, I genuinely know at least 10 people that have said, you know, I, I skipped I skipped the first game. I didn't get around to playing the second game or maybe I just played the third game because somebody lent it to me. And they're like, hey, I'm going to pick up this collection because I'm you know, I want to enjoy the game from start to finish. Okay, that's fine. But again, it's it's really an unnecessary thing. On the contrary, you could have done one better and maybe sold a collector's edition of Uncharted 4 and that collector's edition could have given you access to the first 3 games. I'm serious. Why not just sell the newest game and say, "Hey, if you buy uh, you know, the $70 bundle, you'll get Uncharted 1 through 3 as digital downloads for free. Okay, but, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. It's crazy that they're putting this out. Everybody jumped on board, you know, copy-paste, race. Oh, my God, Uncharted is being remastered. It's bullshit. It's complete and utter bullshit. And again, the double-dipping, triple-dipping trend is going to continue. I've I've received at least six press releases this week of different stuff that's being re-released. Resident Evil Zero, getting remastered. Uncharted, remastered. Like I talked about two weeks ago during our last show. Um, you know, Dishonored, the complete edition. A complete edition of Gears of War. The, the Halo Master Chief Collection. Devil May Cry, remastered. Devil May Cry uh, 3, as a matter of fact, remastered. Why? And this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. People see this and they get upset. But the worst part is that the people that get upset will get suckered in by one thing. 
Like, I guarantee you, all the people that that shit on Uncharted are probably going to pick up the remastered edition because of the beta access to Uncharted 4. Because, again, that's the worm on the hook. That, that shit, for me, personally, will probably either be a rental or I'll wait till it's heavily discounted because, again, it comes out in October, so I guarantee you for Black Friday, it'll probably get a price reduction. You know? It's, it's insane. It, it really is. And on top of that, we don't know what the MSRP is for the game. We'd like to think that it'll be 40 bucks, but you never know. They may pull the trigger and go the full 60 Again, being being suckered in by the dangling worm of beta access. And again, beta access, great, it's wonderful. But is it enough to make you buy a game? I'm serious. Val says, paying to playtest. And that's true. I mean, uh, for Street Fighter V, they're saying, oh, pre-order now to get beta access. You're going to buy the game, so getting beta access via the pre-order, that makes sense. Why not just release the beta access for Uncharted? For Uncharted? Why not just do that? Hey, reserve the game, you get beta access to, to multiplayer. You know? Slick just informed me that Uncharted, the collection, is 60 bucks. They're, they are going full bore with the $60 price tag, which is fucking insane insane thank you slick for that piece of information 60 bucks for a bunch of remastered games and a beta 60 dollars just just let that let that sink in that you're getting essentially the same games that you've played for for 60 bucks for the price of next gen stuff hell you're getting it for the price of that you paid for the games when they originally came out well at least uncharted 3 it's it's so it's so fucking ridiculous. And like I said, there's no necessity to do that. You could just as easily release the beta access with with a reserve and go about it that way. Or you can release these games digitally as uh, through the PlayStation network and charge 10 or 15 bucks for it. You'd probably sell them, but at least it wouldn't look like a bona fide cash grab because Uncharted 4 is not ready. Val says that's not as bad as paying 30 bucks for Metal Gear Ground Zeroes. Yeah, I feel bad for a lot of people that fell for that, especially because I believe that game is going to be free on place on PS Plus. But we'll discuss that uh, later on. Anyway, on the flip side, for, for the double dipping that Uncharted is doing, GTA is releasing some brand new DLC, which, um, as a matter of fact, came out this week. It is um, the Ill-Gotten Games expansion pack, which um, actually dropped on Wednesday. Uh, was it Wednesday? Yeah, it was Wednesday. And that pack includes solid gold jets, designer weapons, new high-end cars, the Buckingham Swift Deluxe helicopter, and a new um, eight-vehicle eight vehicle wraps for GTA Online, which is, of course, the online multiplayer component of GTA five um you know some people were really excited about it some people weren't um slick just said it's four new cars and then everything else is a paint job on existing stuff some people were were thoroughly excited others could give less of a fuck take it for what it's worth but allow me to give you this nugget of information 
GTA 5 has sold nearly 52 million copies since its release. 52 million. So you get some paint swap DLC and four cars, you know, no biggie. And like Slick just said in the chat, it's free. But again, 52 million copies. Rockstar could give two shits what you think with 52 million copies in the hopper. Again, let that sink in, folks. 52 million. It's insanity. Another game that is breaking records is The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, which since release has already sold 4 million copies. On top of that, they're they're churning all the DLC, they're cranking out DLC for that game, you know, immediately. Again, The Witcher already has sold 4 million copies. Slick, thank you for the link, but I can't exactly read that now. <laughs> Appreciate it, but can't read it. Um... Anyway, as I was saying, uh, a lot of good milestones for a lot of games. Um, Witcher 3, I knew was going to sell very well, primarily because so many people were, were already hyped for that game. And Slick just said that The Witcher has already put out nine pieces of DLC. Eight, uh, eight thank you, Slick. And it's all free. Eight pieces of DLC, free, for a game that has already sold 4 million copies, not to mention that 8 more pieces, according to Slick of DLC, are coming that are still going to be free. How about that? More DLC for free. For, For a game that just came out of nowhere and disrupted the establishment. Again, good move, good move by the people at CD Projekt Red with The Witcher. I'm glad that the game has been so well received. And again, all the DLC they're putting out, just a, a testament to, to, to companies genuinely giving a shit about their audiences. Of course, with E3 around the corner, many of us are chomping at the bit for system price drops, either because we want extra systems for our homes or because we are waiting for that particular system that's been on our radar to drop. Well, if you're in line for an Xbox One, there's a couple of things that you may want to know. The Xbox One 500 gig version has dropped permanently to 349. In addition to that, Microsoft has announced a brand new one terabyte version of the console, which is, of course, scheduled to be released next week. And that console is, again, going to come with one terabyte of storage and the brand new Xbox One wireless controller, which will have the 3.5 millimeter stereo headset jack. In addition, for a limited time only, if you do pick up the new console, you will get the Halo Master Chief Collection. So there you have it. Last but not least, Microsoft also put out a brand new Xbox wireless adapter for Windows, which will be releasing this fall, which is going to allow you to use your wireless controller on Windows 10 PCs, laptops, and tablets. You plug the adapter into the USB port, you bind the adapter to your controller, and boom, you are ready to rock and roll. You can buy the adapter as a standalone piece for $24.99, or you can pick it up bundled with the Xbox One wireless controller for $79.95. Again, the Xbox One one terabyte version begins shipping to retailers on June 16th. So if you've been on the fence about an Xbox One or you want to pick one up, the 349 bundle gives you the 500 gigs of storage, but 
you can opt for the one terabyte bundle, get the free Halo Master Chief Collection, free, and the brand new controller with the 3.5 millimeter port. Again, those of you that have been on the lookout for a console price drop, you may want to go that route. Or if you are in the market for a brand new Xbox One, wait till next week and get the one terabyte version and at least you get a free game and a new controller. One game that I know a lot of people have been talking about and looking forward to seeing, and I'm, lo- and I'm looking forward to Danny's coverage of e th- on, on E3 about it, is Star Wars Battlefront, which releases for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC on November 17th. Even though we haven't seen much of the game, minus uh, you know some buzz, some buzz things here and there, uh, the fact remains that they do have some awesome stuff on the horizon, including a deluxe edition of the game for $69.99, which is going to include some additional in-game items, including Han Solo's DL-44 Blaster, an Ion Grenade, Ion Torpedo, and the Ion Shock Emote, plus the the exclusive um, Victory Emote as well. Of course, E3 will showcase Star Wars Battlefront gameplay, but until then... Definitely mark on your calendars November 17th when it drops for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. All right. So we've talked about milestones this month for The Witcher. We've talked about milestones for GTA. How about a little Nintendo love, shall we? Nintendo love, it goes out to the 3DS, which has broken an amazing record that was announced this week. Uh, The Nintendo 3DS line, which includes the 3DS, 3DS XL, 2DS, and new 3DS XL, are now, with the 3DS XL being the eighth Nintendo system to sell at least 15 million units in the U.S. Nintendo released these sales figures earlier today. The latest iteration of the 3DS line, the 3DS XL, helped hardware sales increase by more than 50% in the first half of 2015 compared to the same period last year. The new 3DS XL launched on February 13th, and of course the original 3DS launched in 2011. Again, 15 million units in the U.S. The 3DS now being the eighth system to reach that milestone. Now, I want to say a couple of things. Nintendo is slowly but surely getting themselves back in gamers good graces either by putting out great first party titles or by li- or by closing the release window on some of their highly anticipated games now again they're still they're they're still a long ways off from getting back to prominence but they are doing some good things across the board i mean i recently picked up well my wife picked up a Wii U and i picked up Splatoon and I'm very, very glad. I was very happy to have picked up that game, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. In addition to that, obviously playing a lot of the the first party titles that have been available have allowed me to enjoy the system immensely. Now, again, look at what I said: past first party titles and Splatoon are the only things that I've been playing. I definitely haven't jumped into Virtual Console stuff, Val. Um, there has been some stuff that's been put out, but nothing that has jumped on my radar that I should buy. Plus, I've been playing a lot of Splatoon. It's a very, 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 very enjoyable game. Um, definitely, you can see why people complained about the lack of voice chat, but the game itself is incredibly enjoyable. Um, my wife and I have played, you know, a decent amount of matches together. 
Um, and, and like I said, the game was incredibly enjoyable. Now, obviously, like I said, there's a backlog of stuff I got to pick up that I want to play. I want to play the, uh, the Zelda Hyrule Warriors. Um, got to pick up Super Smash Brothers. But, you know, we've been playing Mario. We've been playing Mario Kart. And, of course, lots of Splatoon. But, again, Nintendo still has a long way to go. But it's nice to see them actually in the news for something positive instead of, as Val puts it, breaking promises <laughs> so there you have it on the flip side we got some mpd numbers well not mpd numbers but mpd's uh top 10 games for the month of may so we'll start from the bottom and work our way up at the bottom of the list super smash brothers after that mlb 15 the show after that we got fifa 15 nba 2k 15 call of duty advanced warfare splatoon made the list props to nintendo Minecraft still kicking ass, still kicking ass. That's all I got to say. GTA 5, Mortal Kombat X came in in the number two slot and the number one selling game for the month of May. No shocker there considering that I mentioned them earlier, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. On the system side of things, Sony was not having being number two this month, even though last month Microsoft did secure the number one slot for most consoles sold. It should come as no surprise that PlayStation is the number one selling console once again for the month of May. Now, a couple of things that came out this week with regards to the PlayStation 4, which I do want to mention. Uh, for those of you that have picked up Ultra Street Fighter 4 on the PlayStation 4, there are new patches heading your way that will fix some of the issues you guys have been experiencing with the game. I have Ultra Street Fighter 4 on my Xbox 360 and I've been playing it there. And I've been tempted to pick it up on the PlayStation 4 just so I could get, get a hang of playing with that controller since obviously Street Fighter V is going to be exclusive for the PlayStation 4. Now, there's a, there's a very, very strong rumor going about that Street Fighter V is never, ever, 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 ever coming to Xbox. Again, even though a lot of people are confirming that I'm in a never-say-never never approach with that story, and the reason I say this is because, you know, you take a, you take a game, you take some of these first-party titles that, well, let me, let me rephrase that. You take some of these console-exclusive titles, and sometimes with the right, amount of money, the right amount of money and the right amount of market share, their decisions to be completely console exclusive sometimes fall by the wayside obviously there are exceptions to that with you know killer instinct being a an in-house xbox title um you know sunset overdrive being an in-house xbox title but with street fighter sony really secured themselves um a, a, a very very big fan base and the reason i say this is because the distribution of street fighter across multiple platforms was definitely good for capcom but the exclusivity of Street Fighter V on PlayStation definitely is going to move some systems. I know a lot of people already that I've spoken to that currently have an Xbox One and are picking up a PlayStation 4 just to play Street Fighter V, and I'm sure that on the competitive uh, the tournament circuit, we're going to start seeing more of that as the game picks up steam and the release date gets closer. Again, the exclusivity of the system only having Street Fighter V... Well, let me rephrase that. The exclusivity of Street Fighter V being on the PlayStation 4 only thus far is 
accurate, but I have a feeling that that is not going to be the case. I'm sure they're going to find a way to leverage Xbox One in there somehow, either if they don't move the same number of units that they've moved during previous releases or, or something, because I do feel that fighting games on multiple consoles really, really help um, move the genre forward. And I say this because, yes, console-exclusive games are great, but you do want to try and, and, and leverage that audience across both platforms. I mean, I know a lot, of, a lot of hardcore gamers and a lot of good friends of mine are still only owners of one console. Some are only Xbox One, some are only PlayStation 4, and then there are those of us that are multi-console owners that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother them either way. But I will attest to the fact that Xbox One owners that are fighting game aficionados like myself have expressed their displeasure at Sony essentially stealing Street Fighter from them. If that remains, you know, if that remains the, the, uh, the standard going forward, we'll see what the deal is. But as of right now, sad, sad to say that Street Fighter V is going to be home on the PlayStation 4 for the foreseeable future. Now, before we wrap things up and jump into the entertainment news of the week, I did want to say that um, a lot of people have asked if we're going to do Brawling for Boobies in October, and even though October is a long ways off, um, things have changed quite a bit with us doing streaming and other things. Uh, it We may give it a shot. I'm going to talk to a couple of partners in terms, and not partners like, X website and Y website that say they're going to partner with us and are completely full of shit. But I mean, real companies that want to try and do something cool. I'm not talking about, you know, you know, blah, 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 dot com who wants to be an affiliate and does jack and shit. But I'm talking about legitimate brands that are interested in being part of this event. And I've put some feelers out there. Some people have expressed interest and, um, if it picks up steam and it looks like something we can do, then of course I will let you guys know. But we, we have not fully buried brawling for boobies for the time being. Um, it's just something that I kind of put on the back burner, but again, it was for a good cause and um, we'll see what happens. I figured I'd, I'd put that out there to close out uh, the gaming segment for this week. Anyway, that said, let us switch gears and jump into the entertainment news of the week, shall we? Okay, so... The big news that everybody was really, really upset about was the rumor that that pretty much picked up steam rather quickly that Dwayne Johnson was going to tackle the remake of Big Trouble in Little China with The Rock playing Jack Burton, a role, of course, made famous by Kurt Russell. The rap reports that Dwayne Johnson is going to produce and star as Jack Burton in the film but they want to respect the film's origins and involve John Carpenter to revitalize the, the classic for new audiences. couple of things about that. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China is probably right up there in my top 10 list of favorite movies. I mean, 
you know the shit is serious when I got a Jack Burton pop. And I'm still trying to hunt down Lopan and the Storms. And the thing that gets me about this is the fact that it's very easy to be upset that The Rock is going to remake this movie. But, and, I, and, I, and I'm really putting this out there. If John Carpenter co-signs and is involved, I'm curious to see if they can pull it off. But I do feel that with the amount of racial humor and stereotypes at play, things are going to be a lot different this time around than they were when the movie came out back in the day. Val says, it was an awesome movie. I don't know if they can remake it. See, that's the problem with remakes. And most times, it's one of the reasons why they fail. Sometimes they either try to recreate it frame for frame with a terrible cast, or they try to deviate from it to the point where it's unrecognizable. Uh, Friday the 13th remake, we're looking at you. And what ends up happening is they just tarnish the legacy of what was a great film. Uh, With Big Trouble in Little China... As I said, I'm a little undecided. I do feel that The Rock has the presence and the comedic chops to make the movie work, but there's so many other factors at play. Number one, we can't remake this movie and whitewash the cast because one of the things that made Big Trouble in Little China great was the fact that when it was in Chinatown, you saw Chinese actors, actors and actresses. You saw it left and right. Yeah, you know, the the star at the end of the day was Kurt Russell and, um, you know, Kim Cattrall being the love interest. But it was still Asian actors and actresses across the board. And, of course, there were a lot of cult favorites throughout that entire movie. And my, that's my bigger concern. My biggest concern isn't so much, you know, my biggest concern isn't so much just, um, you know, the remake but more so the whitewashing, because that's something that we've talked about for a lot of movies. When they did the Dragon Ball Z movie, that movie was fucking whitewashed out the ass. And, and, you know, people complained left and right about that stuff. For me, I'm more concerned about the whitewashing and the film losing its identity than The Rock stepping in and trying to recreate the magic that Kurt Russell did. Again, the the biggest issue with a movie like Big Trouble in Little China is... That, number one, the whitewashing, and number two, trying to capture the the magic that was captured in that film. And it's funny, because Big Trouble in Little China, I've talked to a lot of people that are fans of the film, and they say the same thing. It's one of those movies that you watch and you thought was okay when you were younger, and the movie, you end up watching it, and, and you truly, truly enjoy it, because there's so many quotable lines, there's so many memorable moments, and it's something that... You know, it really is something that I'm going to watch with a very, very close eye. Like I said, you're you're talking to a hardcore Big Trouble in Little China fan, and I got a Jack Burton here to prove it. But still, we'll see. We'll see if The Rock can actually bring bring some magic to it. And again, The Rock is really hot right now. He's doing a lot of great movies. Um, He's lined up for a lot of great roles, even though San Andreas, which is a bona fide cash grab of epic proportions because it's capitalizing on all the great special effects technologies that exist nowadays. It had three things that worked for it. Number one, The Rock looking jacked and 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 doing crazy strongman shit. Number two, Carla Gugino and her cleavage and Alexandra Daddario and her losing her clothes 
as the movie progressed. Obviously, high points for a lot of people, and the box office numbers definitely validated that. Was the movie great by any stretch of the imagination? Probably not. But as a mindless popcorn flick to, to you know bring in the summer, it served its purpose. Anyway, let's switch gears and get into some Marvel news because right now um, we're going to talk about Captain Marvel, which many of you know was one of the films that was unveiled during Marvel's very, very large presentation show, showcasing uh, Phases 2, Phases 3, etc., etc. And um, Captain Marvel, obviously another character that is going to establish the, cine- the, the, space, the Marvel space universe, the cinematic side of things, um, is a character that has really, really deep mythology, but also ties into so many things. Obviously, the Infinity Gauntlet, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, being a member of the Avengers. There's so many different things that Captain Marvel can be utilized in that you have to make sure that the film dedicated to the character is handled by a great director. And secondly, you need a great lead to carry that film because that's going to be a character that you're going to see in countless other movies. So with that said, Marvel has really been courting aggressively Angelina Jolie to direct the Captain Marvel movie as as to whether she'll accept or not remains to be seen but okay okay magazine actually put out a report via Yahoo that Marvel is looking at Charlize Theron to play Captain Marvel they said um the source said Marvel has been courting Angie to direct the project and Charlize is a clear fan favorite for the starring role If Charlize were to get the part, Angelina Jolie would most likely sign on to work with her new friend. So the crazy thing is, obviously, Captain Marvel is going to be part of Phase 3 and is scheduled to to be released July 6, 2018. So we're still a ways off from establishing uh, casting and director choices. Um, We'll see how it pans out. But the real question that I have for you guys is, what do you think of Charlize Theron as Captain Marvel? I mean, I always felt that um, Katie Sackhoff definitely looked the part, but um, Charlize Theron, Charlize Theron, after after the work she did in Mad Max Fury Road, I could see her pulling off Captain Marvel. I mean, she knows how to get in great shape for a role. Uh, you can go as far back as Eon Flux, which wasn't great, but you could see that she she definitely has no trouble getting in shape to fill out a skin tight outfit. I mean, you know, jokes can be made and I'm not saying it to be, you know, sexist or anything, but I'm saying it because you need an actress that can not only get into the role, but look like a, like an authority figure. And Charlize Theron, definitely, she has the tools for it. Me personally, I'm a fan of her work. I would have thought Katie Sackhoff, number one, because she's not as recognized. And number two, because you can leverage her for a lengthy contract because, you know, she's not as big of an actress as Charlize Theron, who's an actress that is in high demand, especially after her turn in Mad Max. Um, Val says, Charlize, awesome choice. Angelina Jolie going to suck it up. He also adds, Katie Sackhoff is awesome, but she's kind of typecast. And Dark Helmet concludes with, Charlize is awesome. I'm fine with it. So we'll see what happens Um, Once we get some official confirmations, both for director and lead actress, I will definitely share those news with you guys. All right. So 
I got a bit of what the fuck entertainment news for this week. And it's been a while since I've found something so insane and so over the top that it needed to be shared. Now, this particular bit of news goes back to something that was big during, uh, you know, the 2000s and, and to a degree, even the 90s, the early 2000s and the 90s. And it is a kid show. Now, you're probably asking yourself, what kid show would make it into what the fuck entertainment news this week? You wouldn't even believe it if I told you, but it is Teletubbies. <laughs> if you guys remember, Teletubbies were four creepy little aliens that had televisions in their stomach that had a little baby in the sun and the purple one carried a purse. Just, just, just madness, madness. I'm not going to lie. My sisters watched Teletubbies religiously and I remember buying many Teletubbies in my childhood but here's the crazy part Nickelodeon has picked up TV rights and on-demand rights for an upcoming Teletubbies reboot for its Nick Jr. channel in addition to that they've also acquired the 365 classic Teletubbies episodes from the original series for Noggin Teletubbies 2 or 2 Tubbies will premiere sometime in 2016. I kid you not. I thought we were really going out there with the return of the Powerpuff Girls, but this, this is definitely what the fuck worthy. A couple of things. Like I said, my sisters, um, you know, they grew up watching a lot of this stuff. And if you were, and if you have young siblings, you know that Nickelodeon used to play some crazy stuff. Uh, David the Gnome, Maya the Bee, Eureka's Castle, um, Clarissa Explains It All, uh, what the hell was it, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Pete, Pete, and Pete, Rugrats, um, there were, they, they had some really, really funny and memorable programming, but the Teletubbies, which I remember used to be on PBS, was just completely insane, I remember I walked in, Yep, you can't do that on television. I remember that. That's an awesome one, Lucha Lee. Appreciate you bringing that up. It was crazy because I remember when I was younger, my mom would put on PBS and they'd give this show and it would be like Tinky Winky, Lala, Poe, and then you just see this purple one walk out with a purse. And I'm like, okay, that's a little fucking odd. But um, on top of the fact that you had an infant whose head was in the sun, it was it was crazy because the baby reminded me of the baby that Vigo wanted to possess in Ghostbusters 2. But that's that's a, that's another story. But it's crazy that, you know, they're going to dig in the crates and put this back out there. Now, I'm curious to see if it will gain the same around the, the same amount of traction that those other series got, because, again, back then, Eureka's Castle, Maya the Bee. Um, you know, just all that Nickelodeon programming used to just be everywhere. Like when Rugrats came out, Rugrats was everywhere. Me personally, I was more of a Ren and Stimpy fan. Loved watching Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, Rocco's Modern Life was definitely my crack, um, but not as much as Ren and Stimpy. You know, it was it was just one of those things. No, sir, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Absolutely. Powdered Toast Man. Fucking Log. Stimpy, you idiot. You worm. You know, I used to love that. The, you know, when, when, when Stimpy would show his, like, booger collection under his table. 
or the one of my, my favorite Ren and Stimpy episode probably has to be Space Madness with, with Ren just losing his fucking mind and eating a bar of soap. This soap is so delicious, so wonderful, so exciting. <laughs> you know, shit like that was just so over the top. And, and of course, during, during those years, you'd watch stuff, and it was so insane. Obviously, you show shit like that now, and kids will be scarred for life. But Powdered Toast Man, when he saved the Pope, and he told the Pope to grab on, grab on to my bulbous butt cheeks, your royal eminence. It was Powdered Toast Man flying backwards with the Pope hanging onto his ass. Think about this. Powdered Toast Man flying backwards with the pontiff, the head of the Catholic Church, hanging onto his ass. It is the craziest fucking shit. And if you put that on television now, you'll get religious groups, super religious people are offended. It was it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous and then of course nickelodeon had their plethora of game shows they had guts uh double dare which was one of my favorites that they put on nickelodeon after being on channel five and it was always good because double dare was physical challenge and you know you have the guy sticking his hand up the giant nose with the fucking booger oh it was great or or trying to find something in a in a pile of pancakes that had random slime on it oh double dare was my shit Double Dare, Global Guts Challenge the, with the fucking aggro crag. Um, what the hell was the other one? Legends of the Hidden Temple with, with the giant talking head that looked like Cain Velasquez. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Just really, really old school shit. And, and of course, I can go down memory lane with this stuff, but Teletubbies, holy shit. If I never in a million years would have thought of a show that was going to get remade, it would be that. Slick also throws out where in the world is Carmen Sandiego, which again, fantastic with, with, with the guys, with the intro, uh, they were, um, and they'd open that shit up and they would kill it. And you had Lynn Thigpen gum shoes. I remember when I was in junior high, they were doing a taping for it. And I tried my hardest to get on that show. Tried so hard because I wanted to see if I could catch Carmen Sandiego. Plus, they used to make us play the game in Computer Lab, which was crazy. It was either Oregon Trail or Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. (laughs) Oh, yeah, dude. I remember I was like, Ma, they're going to do Carmen Sandiego, and I'm going to be on it, and blah, blah, blah. And my mother was like, bring your ass home. Fuck wrong with you. Watch that shit on TV. And I was like, but Ma, I could be on the show. It was... It was it was insanity at its best, but there were so many great shows. And again, you know, we could talk about all of these great ones, but man, oh man, Teletubbies getting a reboot is just is just horrifying. <laughs> Mark Summers had the best hair. I, I got to tell you, I think Mark Summers bathed in a bathtub of virgin's blood because he was doing food on uh, shows on the Food Network a couple of years back, and he still didn't age. He was doing a Unwrapped and a couple of other shows, and I'm like, holy shit, I know that voice anywhere. And sure enough, it was Mark Summers. But, man, those, those were the fucking days, weren't they? Anyway, let me um, jump into some of the other news of the week. From a box office standpoint, you'd be shocked to know that Spy actually took the number one slot, earning $30 million, followed by San Andreas, which had edged out, making 264 Insidious Chapter 3 came in at number 3, Entourage came in in the number 4 slot, 
Mad Max Fury Road was number five. Pitch Perfect 2 was number six. Tomorrowland was seven. It's considered a dud by 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 box office standards. Uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron still going strong in the number eight slot. Aloha was number nine. And Poltergeist was number ten. Of course, this weekend we got Jurassic Park, which I will be checking out on Sunday. Look out for a review on Rageworks, either from myself or the rightist this weekend. But, um... Really excited for Jurassic Park. I know that uh, it's it's going to definitely make a fuckload of money and it's going to knock off Spy rather easily. But I do want to mention one thing. A lot of people that have seen Spy have actually said that it's not terrible, which is crazy because the trailers did not do it any justice. But a handful of people whose opinions I, I genuinely trust actually said that the movie was smart and well written and was pretty de- it was decently funny that doesn't that doesn't give me uh, any inkling to go to the theater and see it but um i it, you know we'll see what happens when it comes on cable slick writes rich does not value my opinion no 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 don't misunderstand i still am not sold on the concept of the movie but five people who actually write for established places went to see it, and they were like, yo, it was surprisingly not a festering pile of shit, which is crazy. That's not to say that it was amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but they were saying that it was smart and well-written. Again, not my, not my take on it, just like I said, what I've heard, but a lot of people have been saying it has decent press and its Rotten Tomatoes ranking isn't fucking completely terrible. So we'll see what happens. It'll probably I'll probably watch it when it's on cable, um... Or I'll, or I'll do like Val just said and watch it on Netflix. All right. I am sad to report, and this this bit of news bummed me out, that um, Constantine did not find a home on another network and unfortunately will stay canceled. Uh, NBC canceled the low-rated show, and it was looking for a home on Sci-Fi or another network, but unfortunately they, it couldn't happen. They started tearing the sets down already, and Constantine is not it's not coming back which i was bummed about because constantine was one of the few shows that i felt going that supernatural dc route that they were doing a good job i mean the first the first and second episode were a little touch and go but as the series progressed you could see that it was really well written they were digging deep into the dc the the dc mythology and i was bummed out to see it go the way that it went i would have thought that sci-fi or even a cable channel would have picked it up hell even netflix but unfortunately, that is not the case. And um, yeah, no, no Constantine, which fucking sucks. I do want to address the um, the passing of both Christopher, Christopher Lee and Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Christopher Lee, of course, his passing was announced earlier today. I believe he was 93 years old. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Christopher Lee has had an amazing career and not just as Saruman or count dooku but also as dracula sherlock holmes mycroft holmes and just a litany of other memorable roles i mean i loved all the christopher lee dracula movies growing up uh seeing him in in star wars as as a as a sith was really cool especially because like i said i grew up watching christopher lee and a lot of stuff Uh, most of you may know him from lord of the rings those of you that are really young but he had an amazing movie catalog. And not only that, but this was a guy that was well-versed in multiple languages, put out a heavy metal album, 
and was a guy that was beloved by geeks worldwide. And it's it's crazy because you know we lost Leonard Nimoy, uh, we lost Christopher Lee. It's it's just it's just crazy, you know, that so many of these icons that we're that we've watched growing up um, are are leaving us. You know, it's it's definitely a, a sad and and heartbreaking turn of events. I mean, he had a a very you know a very long life at you know ninety three years old, and I was just bummed out to hear that because, like I said, you know, I saw him in Lord of the Rings. I've seen him in countless other films, and again, his 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 contributions to Hollywood. It's it's a laundry list of films. You got gems, you got duds, but in all of them that you've watched, you will always find a way to find something good about Christopher Lee's performance. You know, on behalf of myself and and the Rageworks and MTR crew, of course, my condolences to Christopher Lee's family. Um, and for those of us that are longtime film buffs, uh, sci-fi fans, horror fans, you know, we 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 lost we lost one of the greats today. So definitely bummed about that. Uh, for those of you that want to know my thoughts on the passing of Dusty Rhodes, I mean, I wrote on our Facebook group and on our RageWorks fan page where I where I stand uh, with regards to Dusty Rhodes passing, and I'm going to dig a little deeper into that next week during our wrestling episode, but, um, you know, our condolences, of course, go out to Dusty Rhodes' family, his sons, uh, Goldust, and Cody Rhodes, of course, uh, Dustin Runnels, and, um, you know, it's it's crazy that you know, just out of nowhere, this was a guy who was running NXT and, you know, you, you open up your browser, you, you get a communique from someone and you hear that he passed away. It's, it's crazy stuff, but we're, we're going to get into that next week. I did want to acknowledge the passing of both those individuals for different reasons. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, uh, a guy I grew up watching on television, much like Christopher Lee for different reasons. Um, we'll, we'll touch on, on, you know, the passing of Dusty Rhodes during next week's show. All right. Let's let's switch gears and um, talk about the season two Daredevil casting news, which were incredibly huge. And that is that uh, John Bernthal, who many of you may know as Shane from The Walking Dead, has been cast as the Punisher in season two of Daredevil. Now, of course, Many of you know that Daredevil and the Punisher have mixed it up on numerous occasions, given the way uh, the incredible differences in how they dispense justice. Of course, Daredevil uh, being an individual who dispenses justice with his fists and doesn't believe in killing. And of course, the Punisher believing that the best way to stop crime is to put a bullet in it. Um, I think that the casting choice was was very well done. I like John Bernthal. I think he has... Uh, tremendous potential and big shoes to fill. Um, so many of us were enamored with the way Thomas Jane portrayed the Punisher in his film. Um, some of us liked Ray Stevenson's portrayal of the Punisher. Others didn't. But, um, you know, it can't be any worse than Dolph Lundgren, so let's not even kid ourselves. Dolph Lundgren on the, as the Punisher was fucking terrible. For for as insane as that movie was... Um, his his work as the Punisher was god awful. Uh, I do I do have to say that Thomas Jane's work though was in, incredibly solid, and even the the independent film he did for the Punisher was incredibly well done. Uh, but the thing with John Bernthal, which is cool, is you get a guy who is pretty well known but not super in demand as an actor, so you can lock him into a lengthy contract. I'm sure that Daredevil and the Punisher are gonna mix it up quite a bit throughout season two but the best part and a lot of people haven't really noticed this 
is that by establishing Daredevil, the Punisher, in the in the same cinematic universe as Spider-Man and the Avengers and everything else, it opens up a wealth of possibilities. Like, you can have the Punisher show up in a Spider-Man film. It can happen, which is fantastic. Just, you know, as a comic fan, as, as you know, a, a fan of what Marvel's been doing, I definitely am looking forward to that. And it's funny because if you guys remember a couple of months back, I said that Netflix is a great proving ground to do those darker characters like the Punisher and Ghost Rider and uh, Blade. And look at that, Daredevil as well. You know, it could be a home for, a, for the Marvel Knights, you know, for the street level heroes. And people would really enjoy it. I mean, the production value is less and there's less of, a, a, of an exposure of being hurt at the box office. I think uh, using the Punisher in this capacity and maybe even spinning it off into his own show, you can do a lot with it for a lot less money. So I'm very, very excited to see John Bernthal joining Daredevil and um, for the Punisher to make his way into this current landscape of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Slick says, I'm dying to see... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to Deadpool. You know what the problem is? I'd love to see Deadpool involved in that capacity, but fucking Fox, dude. Fox has that shit on lock. Unless, unless, obviously, Marvel makes a play and tosses some money out there. But it's true. I'd, I'd love to see just Deadpool showing up in all these movies just fucking with everybody. I would love to see it. But unfortunately, Fox holds all the cards. I mean... Marvel's going out of their way to make it harder and harder for Fox to want to keep those characters. But if the X-Men movies keep making money and Deadpool makes a shitload of money at the box office, we're, we're going to be in for a long haul. Unless, of course, they agree to split, um, you know, the use of the characters between the films. That, my friends, remains to be seen. But it's true. I'd love to see that, dude. I agree with you. All right. So. Fantastic Four, we all know, is hitting theaters in August. But you want to know something crazy? Um, it appears that Fox is looking to pull the original Fantastic Four films from all digital platforms, including iTunes and Amazon. The Hollywood Reporter actually uh, touched on this earlier this week, saying that um, Fox pulled the films as to, so that they don't distract from the promotion of the rebooted franchise, who is seeking to establish a different tone than the previous releases. The source went on to say that Fox was concerned that the older films may cause confusion in the marketplace and suggested that the films may return to the platforms after the reboot is out in theaters. So if you've been looking forward to seeing those two original Fantastic Four films, you can find them on, on DVD via Netflix or you can buy them on Blu-ray or DVD. Otherwise, you won't be able to see them on any digital platform until the new rebooted Fantastic Four Hits theaters August 7th. I'm telling you, Marvel is Marvel is going to make sure to, to not mention the Fantastic Four in anything because they want to ensure that they can crush any sort of momentum that that film has. But again, it's just crazy that they pulled the digital versions of those original Fantastic Four films because they would affect the success of the rebooted series. Again, we, we, you know, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach on this. I mean, it could be decent or it could be really shitty, but all I know is that Marvel wants nothing to do with it. It's as simple as that.
In some sequel news, looks like Bad Boys 3 is definitely going to get a green light. And Variety is reporting that Joe Carnahan is in talks to not only write, but also direct the sequel. Of course, Sony is pushing to fast track Bad Boys 3 as Will Smith's next project after he wraps up with Suicide Squad. And of course, Martin Lawrence is targeted to return as well. For those of you that don't know, Bad Boys originally came out in 1995 and grossed $65 million. Bad Boys 2 went on to make $273 million worldwide in 2003. Of course, both of those films were directed by Michael Bay, who many people expected to return for the third film. Unfortunately, he is working on the Benghazi drama 13 Hours, plus Transformers 5 after that. All signs are pointing to Joe Carnahan taking over for the directing duties, including doing a rewrite of David Guggenheim's script for the film. With regards to a release date, uh, we have nothing yet, but as soon as I get something, I will let you guys know. Slick adds, Marvel is still kind of helping the Fantastic Four movie because Ultimate Reed Richards is running roughshod all over Secret Wars. Yeah, but that's because that's something that's not... Yeah, I mean, they're using Reed Richards, and I get where you're coming from, Slick, but they're definitely not promoting the Fantastic Four as a group. Yeah, you could talk about Reed Richards or Human Torch or The Thing as individual characters, but the references to Fantastic Four are fucking few and far. <laughs> anyway, in other sequel news, and this shouldn't even come as a shock, Pitch Perfect is getting a third installment. Of course, if you uh, listened earlier to the show and heard the box office totals, you know that Pitch Perfect 2 made a decent amount of money, and it looks like they are going to move forward with Pitch Perfect 3. Of course, this, this second film already earned over $160 million domestically, uh, Kay Cannon, the writer of the first two films, is in talks to return for the next installment. As of right now, it's unknown as a, if Elizabeth Banks will return or if Anna Kendrick or Rebel Wilson will return to the series. But Haley Steinfeld does have a sequel option in her contract, so we may see her in the third film. Listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain about these films because it's something I'm I'm never gonna watch. But they do have an audience. And $160 million box office haul for a movie that practically costs nothing to make. I mean, you know, the first film cost $29 million, um, which, you know, made nothing. I mean, uh, correction, it was it was something that made a lot of money and um, it cost hardly anything. It cost nothing to make. But we'll see what happens. But a third film is definitely is definitely a go. In some other sequel news, well quasi sequel aka reboot news uh the big news involves the ghostbuster reboot which of course is going to be done with an all-female cast uh the big news this week that everybody had a good laugh about was the fact that chris hemsworth was going to be joining the film and he is going to be playing the receptionist <laughs> so in other words janine melnitz who was the receptionist in the ghostbusters films uh in the ghostbusters movies and had a crush on egon is now essentially being played by Chris Hemsworth, who may end up having a crush on one of the Ghostbusters. We'll see if that does pan out, but yes, Chris Hemsworth is a receptionist uh, for the Ghostbusters reboot, which hits theaters July 22nd, 2016. 
The next bit of news, and I'm glad Dark Helmet brought it up, is that Ron Perlman is actively pushing to do a third Hellboy film to close out the series. I definitely am 100% on board with this. I think that the Hellboy movies are incredibly well done. Guillermo del Toro has incredible vision. And honestly, I think that if they tried to crowdfund this movie, they would probably make a decent amount of money. They'd probably have to go with a smaller budget and less effects, but I think that it can be done because nobody that I know hated the Hellboy movies. They may have not felt that they were amazing, but they definitely were enjoyable. I think that if they pushed for a campaign to crowdsource a Hellboy movie, I would definitely be on board and I would definitely donate to try and get that done. For those of you that are interested in finding out what's going on, you can follow Ron Perlman on Facebook. Just look for him there and see what he's up to. And who knows, if you can support it and find a way to get it out there. I believe there's also a petition. Throw your name on there, and who knows, we may get a third Hellboy film. In some other sequel news, and this doesn't even come as a shock to anyone, Uh, It looks like we will be getting a sequel to The Kingsman, The Secret Service. Uh, Matthew Vaughn confirmed in an interview with Yahoo Movies that he is already working on the follow-up to the incredibly underrated but immensely enjoyable Kingsman Secret Service, which I actually picked up on Blu-ray today. Um, In terms of of it keeping, staying true to the comics, there definitely were some liberties taken, but it was an incredibly enjoyable comic book film and for a film that's not, you know, a Marvel movie or a DC movie, it was incredibly well done, solid casting, and just tremendous special effects. If you haven't seen it, it's out on Blu-ray uh, and also on DVD. Give it a shot. Check it out. Look for the comics. They're incredibly well written. And I am personally looking forward to a follow-up to a film that was surprisingly better than I had hoped. Dark Helmet adds, Hellboy 2 ended with such a cliffhanger that there needs to be a part 3. I agree 110%, my friend. Alright, we got some other Marvel casting news. Of course, uh, Tweetel Ejiofor was announced as playing Baron Mordo in the upcoming Doctor Strange movie opposite Benedict Cumberbatch. Of course, many of us, when we heard about the casting, were awaiting the litany of complaints because Baron Mordo was going to be portrayed by an African-American actor um, doesn't bother me. And the reason I'll tell you is because Baron Mordo is such an obscure, not very well-known character that it doesn't, it, who gives a shit? I'll be honest. When you look at Dr. Strange and his rogues gallery, the only memorable guy on that list is Dormammu, who is essentially a guy whose head is on fire and really doesn't look like anything. So if yes, Baron Mordo is is recognizable and is a guy that is part of Dr. Strange's rogues gallery, but nobody gives a shit. The main person that everybody talks about when it comes to Dr. Strange is Dormammu, period, period. But yeah, there were a couple of people, really? That's what they're going to do? Who cares? It's the same shit with... uh... Oh yeah, well, Shuma Gorath, but again, uh, Shuma Gorath is a purple alien with with one fucking eye. Nobody gives a shit what what he looks like. As long as he's an alien with one eye and a fuckload of tentacles, doesn't mean anything. I'm talking about, you know, recognizable guys that everybody talks about. Dormammu is the guy that everyone talks about the most. Yes, Shuma Gorath was in a fucking game. 
and he is a one of Doctor Strange's villains. But if anybody talks about somebody from Doctor Strange's rogues gallery, it's going to be old matchhead Dormammu himself. Nobody gives a fuck about a one-eyed octopus with fucking color problems. Nobody gives a shit. And as for Baron Mordo, again, one uh, the only person who would who would have issue with Baron Mordo is somebody who religiously reads Doctor Strange books or reads the Marvel Universe handbook with all the characters and all of a sudden got to letter B and said, "Hey, Baron Mordo's being played by a black guy." Otherwise, who gives a shit? Hell, I'm shocked that anybody gives a fuck that Doctor Strange is even getting a movie. Not to say that I don't want to see it, because I'm sure it's going to be good. I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch is a great actor. But, again, much like the Ant-Man movie, it's something that wasn't on my radar unless somebody put it there. I'm serious. Like, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, you know, some of those more obscure characters that that are essential in the Marvel Universe... They're on nobody's movie theater radar. They're only on people's radar now and mentioned in pop culture because Marvel made it that way. Nobody was running out there to buy Doctor Strange fucking comics. Nobody was. I'm serious. I used to read a handful of Doctor Strange books when they used to tie into big sagas. And they were they were okay. And I read them by force. Hell, when Doctor Strange was made part of the Illuminati in the Marvel Universe was the only time that Doctor Strange was anywhere near fucking important. Because otherwise, nobody gives a shit. You know when you call Doctor Strange when it's fucking vampires or shit that doesn't make sense? Who do you call? Oh yeah, call the guy with the big fucking cape on his, on his, on his costume. Yeah, that guy whose cape is just unnecessarily big for no damn reason. <laughs> I kid, of course, but... You know, this. I'm just going, you know, bringing it back to what I said before. Much like the casting of Heimdall, a character who is, you know, a one-off that nobody genuinely, that's on nobody's radar, who cares? Like, see, it's different, of course, because people are going to say, well, why, why do you have issue with the casting of Human Torch? The casting of Human Torch, you have to remember the Fantastic Four mythology is very mainstream. And unless they changed it in the books in some capacity... You could have gone you could have made Ben Grimm, like I said, African American, and it wouldn't have been, you know, as as jarring for anyone. Because again, you could take some liberties there. But going and, and just rewriting the mythology for the sake of wanting to do something different, I disagree with. It's like ultimate like people that said, Oh, Nick Fury's African American in, in the Marvel movies, yes. But that's because Nick Fury was established as African-American in the the ultimate Marvel Universe. And that Nick Fury was even introduced into 616 Marvel Universe as the son of white Nick Fury. So again, they found a way to bring all of that home. I wouldn't be shocked if in the quote-unquote new Marvel Universe, Baron Mordo ends up being black. Or, who knows, he's a new Baron Mordo or the son of the old one. It, it doesn't, you know, stuff like that, again, obscure fucking characters. You could change obscure characters because they're on no one's radar. I'm 100% honest. Like, if you decided to include Sasquatch from Alpha Flight in a Wolverine movie and he was played by a, by a fat Asian man who transforms into a giant Sasquatch, 
no one would care because nobody gave a shit about Sasquatch, much, much less fucking Alpha Flight. <laughs> I'm serious. You know what I remember about Alpha Flight? Vindicator. And the fact that one of the characters ended up being um, being ended up being made homosexual, which was North Star. And I remember that was a huge thing when I worked in a comic store when that story broke because that comic book sold everywhere. And everybody's like, oh, shit, you know, that's a pretty big fucking deal. But other than that, nobody cares. Obscure, tertiary, sec- you know, secondary, tertiary characters. Nobody cares. Mainstream first party characters, that's a different slope. I'm serious. Different slope altogether. <laughs> Lucha Lee writes, You better not talk smack about Puck, Rich. Puck from Alpha Flight was the man. Puck was a pretty cool character. Like I said, Alpha Flight is one of those teams that they just pop up and they're they're okay, but if they got killed off tomorrow, nobody would shed a tear. I'm sorry. Puck was cool. I liked Vindicator. I liked Wild Child, but nobody cared. Nobody cared about the Canadian Avengers. Take your maple flavored cookies and get the fuck off my page. I'm serious. Nobody cared about Alpha Flight. Nobody. And they tried. They tried to make Alpha Flight cool. That shit didn't work. Didn't work at all. You know, another character that they tried to make cool, Silver Silver Sable. They tried to make her scantily clad and hot looking and, you know, they, they had her show up in a dozen Spider-Man comics. You know who gave a fuck? Nobody. Nobody. Lucha Lee says Wolverine was in Alpha Flight. That's how they got people to care about Alpha Flight or at least tried to. Dude, they tried to make Alpha Flight cool with Wolverine, but that shit couldn't even help them. <laughs> that shit could not even help them. <laughs> really couldn't which is unfortunate but it's true it's like if you go through the list of marvel characters and you look at some of them you're like really that guy like here's a here's a team the new warriors i always thought that the new warriors was an awesome team that never got utilized to their fullest and the only time that they became incredibly relevant was when the new warriors essentially got were the catalyst for civil war they were an awesome comic book in the 90s, but no, it just didn't pick up any steam. Even though they had cool characters, you know, Night Thrasher and um, Speedball, they had great characters. But again, it just happens. People just don't give a shit. They don't. Or when they brought back the Century, the Century was an awesome character. He was bipolar and fucking crazy. But again, everybody was like, eh, Superman ripoff. It happens. Not every character is a home run. Not every character needs a movie. But I'll be honest. If it's a third-party character that nobody gives a shit about and you want to change it a little bit, sure. But not the main guys. Not the main guys unless they get changed in the source material. Simple as that. Anyway. So... Last bit of movie news to wrap things up is another bit of sequel news, and that is that the sequelizer, uh, the sequelizer, <laughs> that, that's actually a good title. The Equalizer is getting a sequel, and it's hitting theaters September 29th, 2017. I actually mentioned this um, a couple of weeks back that the sequel was did get the green light, but we did not have a release date. Well, September 29th, 2017 is the day you got to look for. 
to watch the equalizer with Denzel Washington once again back in the starring role, which was great. I thought Denzel Washington killed it in in the equalizer film. So I'm curious to see if they can do a um a just as good of a job with a sequel. Um right now Antoine Fuqua is going to be working with Denzel Washington in the remake of The Magnificent Seven. But again, uh, The Equalizer 2 hits theaters September 29th, 2017. All right. So with that, that is everything we got for entertainment news this week. So uh, let's wrap things up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 298, which broadcasted live Thursday, June 11th, 2015. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, feel free to email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. As for archive versions of the show, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Pretty soon you'll also find them on Spotify as well. Live episodes, again, air every Wednesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Wednesday nights, we focus on wrestling and MMA. Thursdays, we focus on gaming and entertainment. As for social media, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+. You can look for Rageworks on Pinterest. You can also follow us on, uh, well, Facebook. Let, let Let me rephrase that. Facebook, you can either follow the show at my take radio look for it on facebook or you can become a fan of rageworks which gives you obviously access to the shows plus all the other stuff we cover same thing with twitter you can follow my take radio but the main news source will be rage underscore works on twitter google plus same thing each brand has its own google plus page uh, my take radio look for that on google plus or rageworks as well and of course there, you can always follow me on Instagram, RageWorks underscore Rich. And if you're a Periscope user, you can follow us under RageWorks as well. All right. With that said, let's wrap things up. I will see you guys next week. Thank you guys for tuning in and thank you for your continued support. I will see you next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for our MMA and wrestling edition. Until then, on behalf of myself, and the rest of the Rageworks MTR crew. I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Rich, bitch. Everything, everything, that's all, folks.